Our scripture today is Hebrews chapter 13, verses 2 and 3. Verses 2 and 3, hospitality and help. Hebrews 13, 2 to 3. However, for the context, we will read from verse 1. 13, verse 1. Let love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them and those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves also are in the body. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will teach us from this passage what it means to practice hospitality and what it means to remember those in distress. We pray, Father, that you'll guide us and give us a greater awareness of these matters and a greater desire to fulfill your word by your spirit. In the name of Christ, amen. Well, from last week, we remember that this passage in chapter 13 is actually very practical in terms of what it's explaining to us. For 12 chapters, from chapters 1 to 12, he has focused on the theological, what is necessary for us to know and to believe about God, Christ, and our salvation, to correctly understand it and to adhere to that for the true gospel. But then the true gospel has good works that flow from it. And those good works, or the fruit of our redemption, he is focused on that in this chapter, chapter 13. It's important to understand this connection between the grace of God that saves us and the grace of God that sanctifies us or continues to work in us so that we reflect the image of Christ and conform ourselves to the image of Christ. This is an important connection to make. That's evident in Hebrews chapter, chapters 1 to 12 and chapter 13. It's evident also from a common passage that we know. From Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, and even verse 10, which needs to be understood in connection with verses 8 and 9. Ephesians 2, 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In the, in the Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, the Apostle Paul makes it very clear in verses 8 and 9, we're saved by grace. He saves us that way. But once we're saved, he doesn't leave us in that condition. But then he says in verse 10, for we are his workmanship, we are His workmanship, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is also similar to the Ten Commandments, because in the Ten Commandments, the first four commandments express what we should do and, and know and love and fear about God Himself in the first four commandments. But then, the last six of the Ten Commandments, how we ought to behave towards one another. And this is our focus right here. Because in verse 1, he taught us or reminded us that we should love the brethren. We should love the brothers. We should love those in the body of Christ. We ought to love one another. Then he gives us explanations of what it means to love one another. 
That's why we're at verses 2 and 3. And even for much of the rest of this chapter, he will give examples of what it means to love one another. Verse 2, he says, in terms of loving one another, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them, and those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves also are in the body. If we could summarize these two verses, I think we could summarize them by saying, practice generosity. Be those who share. Be those who are very willing and happy to help the needy. To help the needy. Be generous toward the needy. That's what he's saying here in verses 2 and 3. But notice also who the needy are. Who are the needy that we should be helping? He's not going to give us examples of those who are needy who are exploiting the system, who are exploiting charities and donations. He's not talking about people like that. He's not talking about people who refuse to work and to provide for themselves. He's talking about people who are truly needy in the biblical sense of the term. And in verse 2, the first example is hospitality to strangers, right? And in the second example, the prisoners. We'll see that these strangers and these prisoners are not people who are reckless people living a carefree and loose life, and then they find themselves in a horrible predicament. Yes, there is a solution to that, and the solution to that is to preach repentance to them and help them to repent. Preach that they should not go and gamble all their money away. They should not get, uh, squander all their money with drugs or with drunkenness or anything else that they might do with their money. They should not do that. Preach repentance and faith in Jesus Christ to them and then help them to overcome gambling or drunkenness or whatever the sin is. That's the way in which we should preach to them and be generous to them. But here, the truly needy is his focus. So... Notice how he begins verse 2 and even verse 3. Do not neglect. And in verse 3, remember. Do not neglect, he says. Not neglecting or remembering has been his focus in other places in this letter. For example, in chapter 2, chapter 2, he has taught us not to neglect. Verse 1, 2, verse 1. For this reason, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? It's not good to neglect our salvation but it's also not good to neglect the manifestation of our salvation, the fruit of our salvation, the works, the good works that flow from the salvation we have. And how is it directed? It's directed to those who need our hospitality. We should not neglect to show hospitality. Another place he reminds us not to neglect or forget or not to remember is in chapter 12, Verse 5, chapter 12, verse 5, in the same letter, Hebrews 12, 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. 
They had forgotten, just as we often forget, the exhortation that's addressed to us as sons, that God disciplines us so we should not regard it lightly, we should not faint, we should not be dispirited when troubles come our way. Don't do that. Don't forget who God is and that God is preparing us and molding us He's taking away sin from us just as gold is refined in fire. We need to be refined with the dross of our sin taken away and removed from our life. Don't forget that. Remember that. And don't don't neglect that very fact. Well, in this case, what should we not neglect? To show hospitality to strangers. To show hospitality. First, he says to show hospitality. Now, he has a specific target, the strangers, and we'll speak of them in a moment. But firstly, we should be practicing hospitality generally. And if we practice hospitality generally, then it would be more in our custom, more in our practice, more in our being ingrained in us that we should help the strangers. Showing hospitality, generally speaking. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 4. Just a few pages to 1 Peter chapter 4. Hear about general hospitality. 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. We'll begin at verse 7. 4, 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. And this is in preparation for the end. This is in preparation or in a way for us to be practicing sound judgment, sober spirit. This is the way that we can keep a fervent love for one another. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Don't be grumpy about it. Be joyful and delightful about sharing and being hospitable to one another. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 also speaks of practicing hospitality, generally speaking. Romans chapter 12 and verse 13. Romans 12, 13. He says, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Further, what should our motive be in practicing hospitality? What should our motive be in practicing hospitality? Christ our Lord explains to us in Luke 14, when we do practice hospitality towards one another, what a true and right motive is and what the wrong motive is. Luke chapter 14, verse 12. Luke 14, verse 12. And he also went on to say to the one who had invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and repayment come to you. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. 
You see, often our motives are wrong motives, evil motives, when we invite friends and brothers and relatives, neighbors, uh, rich neighbors, he says. Notice there. Rich neighbors. And this is also what we hope often with some of the other people that we know, the friends and the relatives that we know. They, they um, scratch our back, we scratch their back. And one way to do that is bringing them into your home and eating a big meal together or celebrating something together. You do that not with the right motive to celebrate the person, let's say the person's birthday or the couple's anniversary, not with that, but because you want to be in this crowd of people who will scratch your back if you uh, scratch their back. That's the wrong motive. Here he says, invite people who can't do that. He says, the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind... And you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Why not invite people like that? Invite people like that in order to help them with their needy, truly needy situation. So keep people like that in mind and do so with the right motive. Now he's not saying by this example in Luke 14, that you should never invite your friends or your relatives. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the motive. What is the motive that people have in inviting the people into their home the way that they do? So, general hospitality, it is to be practiced by all Christians in one manner or another. And there are different manifestations of practicing this kind of hospitality. But also... It should be directed, according to our verse in Hebrews 13, to strangers. It should be directed to strangers. We have examples of strangers receiving hospitality in the book of Acts. Let's look at one example of that in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16 Verse 11, 1611. This example is the example of Lydia. The example of Lydia. 1611. Therefore, putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Somathrace, and on the day following to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were staying in the city for some days. Now, the we is at least Luke and Paul. Luke and Paul, Luke who wrote this book. Verse 13, And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. And a certain woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Paul and Luke are going about from place to place and city to city, from district to district in the Roman Empire, right? They're preaching the gospel, finding Jews and Gentiles to preach the gospel to them. They go to a riverside. They see there are some women there assembled, so they begin speaking the gospel to the women. And God opened the heart of one of those women 
Verse 14, the heart of Lydia. Now she already had some kind of inclination to know about God and the things of God. That's why she's called there a worshiper of God. Not that she was a believer. She was not a believer, a true Christian or anything like that. But she had this inclination to understand religious and spiritual things. And then God opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Then God opened her heart and she believed the gospel. She did not have an open heart before that. God opened her heart. Notice also, God did not open the the heart of the other women. There was at least one other woman, because it's plural in verse 13, women, the women. He did not open the heart of the other woman or women, only Lydia's, to respond to the things spoken by Paul. What would the response be? Repentance and faith. Repentance from sin and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, Acts 20, 21. This is what Paul the Apostle was declaring everywhere. Repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So she responded because God first opened her heart. That's the sequence. God opens the heart, then we have faith and repentance. Further though, 15 says, And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. She then introduces Paul and Luke to her household. Her household also believes. They are also baptized. And then she urges them to stay with her in her household if they have seen evidence that she is faithful to the Lord. They saw that. They saw she was urging them. She prevailed upon us. Now, Paul and Luke were strangers to her until, at least for the time that they first heard the gospel from them and then stayed in the house, from the time that they first heard the gospel until they stayed in her house, for those couple of days or however long that was, in that time they were getting to know each other, but in a sense, Paul was a stranger to her. She didn't know if Paul was a fugitive, if he had murdered 10 people and he was running from the Roman authorities, She didn't know anything like that. So in a way, she was inviting a stranger into her household. And so she's showing her love of God because she heard these men who were preaching the gospel. She believed this gospel. They showed in that brief time that they were genuine, sincere, good men who were trustworthy men. So she invites them into her household in order to Uh, share her generosity with them. Now, she did this as a believer. As a new believer, she did this. So, shouldn't we do this as believers? And even more, and even more, unbelievers know to do this. And I'd like to show you an example of an unbeliever who knows, unbelievers who know that they should practice hospitality to strangers. Unbelievers know they ought to do this. How much more should believers? An example in the book of Acts. If you're still in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28. As you're finding that chapter 28, the Apostle Paul and many others are on a ship and they are being shipped from various places. They were gathered from Caesarea and they are going on to Rome. They're going on to Rome. 
various prisoners kept by soldiers. But their ship runs aground, and it comes to a certain island. And they have to go and, and wade through and swim through the water for their life, and they come to an island called Malta. Okay, verse 1. Acts 28, verse 1. Let's see what the natives, the inhabitants of that island, do. And when they had been brought safely through, then we found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us extraordinary kindness, for because of the rain that had set in and because of the cold, they kindled a fire and received us all. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. And when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they began saying to one another, Undoubtedly this man is a murderer, and though he has been saved from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. However, he shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. But they were expecting that he was about to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had waited a long time and had seen nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and began to say that he was a god. Now that clearly shows that they were unbelievers, they were idolaters, thinking that Paul was a god. Verse 7, Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us courteously three days. And it came about that the father of Publius was lying in bed, afflicted with recurrent fever and dysentery. And Paul went in to see him, and after he had prayed, he laid his hands on him and healed him. And after this had happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases were coming to him and getting cured. And they also honored us with many marks of respect. And when we were setting sail, they supplied us with all we needed. They supplied them with all they needed for the rest of their journey on to Rome. But firstly, notice at the very beginning, it says... Verse 2, the natives showed us extraordinary kindness for because of the rain that had set in and because of the cold, they kindled a fire and received us all. Kindled a fire and received us all. These people are idolaters. They know nothing of the gospel. Paul and Luke and whoever else on that ship may have become a believer by that point. At least Paul and Luke were believers. They were the only believers of those men in that ship. The rest were Romans and pagans and prisoners, just as Paul was a prisoner. So they, right there, these unbelievers on the island, received them with hospitality, kindling a fire for them, and then even sending them on their way with all that they needed. Perhaps by that point, some of them became believers, and they, as believers, are showing hospitality by being generous with their provisions for those prisoners on the ship. So, we should show hospitality to strangers too, because these kinds of incidents will happen to us when people that we don't know need our help along the way. Further, he tells us in Hebrews 13, verse 2, for some have entertained angels without knowing it. Some have entertained angels without knowing it. 
Now he's alluding to, I believe, at least four incidents in the Old Testament. At least four incidents in the Old Testament, perhaps more. And he's saying that even in our day, God may send an angel in human form for this or that purpose, and God will test us and see if our righteousness will be manifested, see if our generosity will be manifested, see if we're going to be covetous and stingy with what we have and what we own and not share freely with those who have a true need. He says, for some have entertained angels without knowing it. I believe that he has in mind Genesis chapters 18 and 19 in, in which Abraham was met by three men in chapter 18, Genesis 18. Three men, and when they approached him, initially I believe he did not know who they were because he saw them from a distance and he was waiting for them or waiting for someone to come who needed help as a traveler to, hit, to help that traveler on the road from point A to point B. In chapter 19, Lot is sitting at the gate of Sodom and why would he be sitting at the gate? Because the road would be right there and he would look for travelers to see if there was somebody who had a true need, who needed a place to stay, who needed some place for his animals to be able to refresh themselves, something like that. Lot was willing and helpful in doing so. And I believe even Lot initially, he did not know, as he saw two men coming along the road, that they were angels. Later he found out that they were angels, but initially he didn't know. In Abraham and Lot's case, initially did not know. Well, I think that we also have examples of this in the book of Judges. Notice in Judges chapters 6 and then another one in the book of Judges. Please turn, if you can find your way, to the book of Judges. Judges chapter 6. In this chapter, Gideon is being called by God, and God sends the angel of the Lord to him in order to call him to this task of being the deliverer the judge, the, the commander of the army of the people of Israel to deliver them from their enemies, the Midianites. He's calling on Gideon to do so. But in the initial interaction that Gideon has with the angel of the Lord, he does not realize who is speaking to him. He does not realize, even though the angel of the Lord is there. For example, for example it says in chapter 6, verse 11... Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abi Ezrite, as his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. So the angel of the Lord does appear. The text tells us that the angel appeared. But as he is dialoguing with this angel, he does not realize it until verse 22. Notice verse 22. When Gideon saw that he was the angel of the Lord, he said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. He's worried that he's going to die. Verse 23, And the Lord said to him, Peace to you, do not fear, you shall not die. He thought he was going to die only after he realized who was talking to him. He realized it was the angel or messenger of the Lord talking to him, as it says in verse 22. When he realized it, then he became afraid that he might die. Well, another example, chapter 13. Judges chapter 13. 
Judges chapter 13. In this case, the angel of the Lord, also appearing as a man, comes and presents himself to Manoah's wife. Not to Manoah, but to Manoah's wife first. His wife reports it to him, and then the angel appears to Manoah. Manoah is the father of Samson. Manoah is the father of Samson. So Manoah now is in a dialogue with the angel of the Lord, and he doesn't realize that this man who comes in a human form is the angel of the Lord. Now, I have been saying man. Let's look at an example at verse 10, 13.10, Judges 13.10. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came the other day has appeared to me. Verse 11, Then Manoah arose and followed his wife, and when he came to the man, he said to him, Are you the man who spoke to the woman? And he said, I am. So you notice there, the angel of the Lord appears in human form. Manoah and his wife both call him man, the man. Are you the man? So they know for sure he's a man. But is he only a man or merely a man? Notice in verse 16. 16. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food, but if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. Then, verse 21, go to verse 21. Now the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah or his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. So Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have let us hear things like this at this time. Manoah too. He did not realize until this point who that man was. The man was an angel in human form. So in the same way, God is teaching us here that we ought to be generous people, kind people to those who have a true need. And even there might be an angel that passes our way. And how much more, the implication is, how much more is it beneficial for us to help angels along their path as they test us and they help others in this world to do the will of God? As it says in Hebrews 1.14, are they not ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. Spirits, ministering spirits, angels are there not only to benefit us and reward us, but also to benefit others. So be a part of helping in the expansion of the kingdom of God. Now, let's move on to verse 3. Hebrews 13, verse 3. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them and those who are ill-treated since you yourselves also are in the body. Remember the prisoners. Remember, do not neglect. Now, why would he say so about remembering prisoners? He would say to us to remember prisoners because I think that there are two main things that keep us distracted from remembering the truly needy. And what are those two things? 
1 Corinthians 15, 32 says, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we may die. Now there, the unbelievers, the wicked people think that way and live that way. But we are also tempted regularly to think that way and live that way. To eat and drink, tomorrow we're going to die, everything will be just fine. So we are also focused on our basic necessities, basic pleasures, things that we want to do. We just want to eat and drink, and then tomorrow we die. We might be distracted and not think about other people, needy people, just thinking about ourselves and getting our own desires fulfilled, just like wicked people do who know nothing of the gospel. So we should not do that either. In fact, daily we must buffet our body and make it our slave, lest possibly after preaching to others be disqualified. 1 Corinthians 9, 27. So that would be a reason why we might not remember the prisoners, the truly needy. Another reason is we are going about our daily activities with anxiety. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? With what shall we clothe ourselves? So preoccupied about the need for money, um, food and clothing, covering, houses, things that we need, our health. We are so anxious about that. And Jesus warned us in Matthew 6 not to be so anxious, not to be anxious at all, actually, about those kinds of things. But he said, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not be concerned about tomorrow, for each day has enough trouble of its own, he taught us. So don't be anxious about these kinds of daily requirements. Don't be anxious and worry about those things. If we're not anxious about what we need, and if we're not anxious or just fulfilling our desires, gratifying our desires the way the people of the world do, then our focus is not us, but on others, right? Just like practicing hospitality, and just like here with prisoners, our focus is on the truly needy. Our concern should be the truly needy. As Paul said in, in Galatians 2, when he, as the apostle to the Gentiles, understood the role of his ministry, and he desired the favor of the apostles to the Jews, the circumcision and the uncircumcision, when he understood, he said, he just wanted them to help him to remember the poor, meaning the truly needy, the poor. Help the people who really need your help. So, if we are loving our neighbor as ourselves, if we are loving the brethren as we love ourselves, if we're doing good to others, just as you would have them do to you, for this is the law and the prophets, Matthew 7, 12. If we're doing these kinds of things, we're going to be not preoccupied and anxious about ourselves, but helping other people, the prisoners. We should help the prisoners. Notice in chapter 10, verse 34, he has alluded to the fact that the prisoners and those ill-treated are his concern. 10.34. In chapter 10, verse 34. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and an abiding one. He commends them because it's right and good to show sympathy to the prisoners and the, accept joyfully the seizure of your property. So here, the ill-treated. They, some of them had been ill-treated. Their property was stolen. And in their case, some of their cases, they were thrown into prison for the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
They were thrown into prison. So he says, remember those people. Don't forget them. Remember them. After all, the Apostle Paul, he was a prisoner, right? And not for his sins. Ephesians 3, 1 and 4, 1, he calls himself the prisoner of the Lord or the prisoner of Christ. He calls himself that. He was a prisoner, not for his own sins. We need to see an example of this, not for his own sins. Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21. Paul the Apostle, thrown into prison, not because he sinned against God and not because he committed some crime that was worthy of imprisonment or other worse penalty. Acts chapter 21, verse 27. In the case of the Apostle Paul, he will be the the most evident and obvious example to most Christians. The Apostle Paul, Acts 21, 27. And when the seven days were almost over, the Jews from Asia, upon seeing him in the temple, began to stir up all the multitude and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, come to our aid. This is the man who preaches to all men everywhere against our people and the law and this place. And besides, he has even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian in the city with him, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Trophimus the Ephesian means he's a Gentile who shouldn't be in the temple. But that wasn't what Paul did. Verse 30, And all the city was aroused, and all the people rushed together, and taking hold of Paul, they dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. And while they were seeking to kill him, a report came up to the commander of the Roman cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. And at once he took along some soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander came up and took hold of him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. And he began asking who he was and what he had done. But among the crowd, some were shouting one thing and some another. And when he could not find out the facts on account of the uproar, He ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he got to the stairs, it so happened that he was carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob, for the multitude of the people kept following behind, crying out, Away with him! And we know from this chapter until chapter 28, he's under arrest and he's sent as a prisoner to Rome. Not for something he did wrong but for the sake of the gospel. That's why he was thrown into prison. This may also happen to us, as it does to many people we hear of. 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. It may, all ha- it may also happen to us. 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter 4. We'll begin at verse 12. 1 Peter 4. 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exultation. For uh, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. By no means let any of you suffer as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, 
let him not feel ashamed, but in that name, let him glorify God. Here we have this clarity of who these prisoners are that our apostle means in Hebrews 13. The apostle means that we ought to share the sufferings of Christ for the name of Christ. If we are Christians, we are preaching the gospel. If we are living righteously and our persecutors do not like the way we live because we don't practice their corruption or their crimes, and then if we are persecuted, and then if violence is perpetrated against us, and then if they arrest us, and then if they seize us and put us into prison, then that's okay. If we are prisoners for that reason, but not, verse 15, 1 Peter 4, 15, not if we are murderers, thieves, evildoers, troublesome meddlers. We should not go into prison for any of those reasons and therefore shame the name of Christ. If we go to prison for any of those reasons and we claim to be Christians, we are shaming his name. But if we go to prison for the name of Christ, that is the way Christ suffered. He also was arrested for the sake of the kingdom of God. So we also may be arrested for the sake of the kingdom of God. These are the kinds of prisoners that should be brought to our mind. We ought to think of them. Occasionally that happens in the United States. More often it happens in other countries, such as Hindu countries, Buddhist countries, communist countries, Islamic countries. It happens in those kinds of nations where Christians are thrown into prison. We need to pray for them. We need to be aware of them. And however we may be able to help them. And sometimes God grants it, either providentially speaking, or in the, in the case of a calling and a burden, to go help them, to help them in their times of distress. But at the bare minimum, when we are aware of these, we ought to pray for them. And pray with this kind of concern. Verse 3, he says, As though in prison with them. As though in prison with them, and those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves also are in the body. As though in prison with them, as though we are ill-treated with them, why? Since you yourselves also are in the body, in the body of Christ. So we ought to have this kind of concern and compassion for them because we are believers in Christ. We are brothers in Christ. We are part of the body of Christ. We are the church of Christ. We are the children of God. He has redeemed us and saved us from our sins. So we ought to have some kind of compassion, some kind of humanity, at least, towards them, because they are our Christian brothers, right? Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2, verse 1. Philippians 2, verse 1. If therefore... There is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, 
but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. What attitude? Christ, he cared for others. He helped others. He looked after their interests, not merely his own interests, but the interests of others. He was not practicing selfishness, preoccupied with himself, but he had a humble attitude and regarded others in order to help others. Romans chapter 15, Romans chapter 15, verse 1. Using Christ as an example again. Romans 15, verse 1. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor, neighbor for his good to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell upon me. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, that through perseverance in the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The others who are prisoners for Christ, they are weak or they are helpless. They have no hope, no hope in terms of their circumstances. Yes, they have eternal hope, but should we not consider their good, their edification, what they need? We have many examples of this from the Old Testament, he says, Jeremiah the prophet was in prison. Micaiah the prophet was in prison. Isaiah the prophet from outside the Bible, from church history, we have evidence that he himself was in prison. And even sawn in two in the middle of a hollow log, Isaiah the prophet. Many prophets were running for their lives. David was running for his life. Elijah and Elisha were running for their lives because of the persecutions against them. So many examples of prophets who suffered for the name of Christ, for the gospel of Christ. So let's have that mind, to have the same mind of Christ and concern for them, he says, so that we might together glorify God. When we are thinking of others, therefore, then we are loving them and not preoccupied and anxious about our own situations. And we'll see. We have nothing for which to complain. We have nothing to complain about here because we don't suffer like that. Remember, another motive is to consider that they are in the body of Christ. They are in the body of Christ. Are we not all children of God, we who are redeemed? Are we not all the church of God? Yes. And the clear, clearest example of this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Chapter, chapters 12 to 14 emphasize this fact that we are one body in Christ. And he says, since you yourselves are in the body. If we're all in the body, shouldn't we be concerned with one another and not merely please ourselves? 1 Corinthians 12, 12. We'll read one section of this that explains it quite clearly. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. Meaning, our physical body has many parts, so also the spiritual body of Christ is the same. 
Verse 13. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and were made were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body. It is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body. It is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our unseemly members come to have more abundant seemliness, whereas our seemly members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more honor to that member which lacked, that there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Therefore, if we have true concern, true love of the brethren, we will have concern for those who are persecuted, maligned for the sake of the gospel. Let's have this attitude. An attitude of generosity, an attitude of sharing, an attitude of loving our neighbor as ourself, loving our brother, being of one mind, having the mind of Christ towards these issues, and not focused on ourselves. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.